Hello and welcome to the Living Wholeheartedly podcast. My name is Heather Morris and I'm the General Secretary of the Methodist Church in Ireland. As a connection, as a church family, we're committed to living wholeheartedly as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world. In this podcast series, to which we hope you will subscribe, we're going to hear and tell stories. We're going to have honest conversations about what wholehearted Christian faith looks like today. A faith that is lived out in the real world every day. A faith that doesn't shy away from hard questions. A faith that's committed to working for change where there's injustice or poverty or lack of opportunities. Living wholeheartedly as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world. You're welcome to the Living Wholeheartedly podcast. first guest on Living Wholeheartedly is the Reverend David Nixon. Uh, David is the President-designate who will be installed as President for 2022 and 23 on the 9th of June. David, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you you for being the first person to be uh, interviewed and to have this conversation and for taking the time to be with us today. For those listening who know a face or know the name but know little else, would you tell us a wee bit about yourself, where you come from, what your background is, your journey of faith and why are you a Methodist? Mm. Thank you, Heather, and it's good to be with you. Um, That story begins in Black Lion. That's where I grew up, Black Lion, County Calvin. Grew up on a farm there and grew up as part of a Methodist church. So I suppose that's really the answer to the last question there. Um, And in terms of faith, my faith was obviously shaped by being part of the Sunday school, um, part of the CE. And uh, later on then, as a family, we went uh, in the summers to uh, child evangelism fellowship camps. And it was at one of those camps that I became a Christian when I was, I presume, around 10 or 11. I don't know, remember the exact time. Um, But just knowing at that time that, you know, Jesus wanted to be my friend, wanted to be my saviour. He had died for my sins. And I had the opportunity of becoming his follower of giving my life, as we described it then, uh, to him. And I did, and remember at the time feeling a great peace and knowing that that was, you know, the right thing the right thing to do. And I would have to say that <clears throat> just, I suppose that's really the basis of my faith, that Jesus has been a friend and has never stopped being a very close and personal friend ever since. Mm. Um Went through secondary school, loved um, woodwork, and the story, my story to some extent is a case of doors opening and closing, because I wanted to be a woodwork teacher, and uh, I didn't uh, have enough points when I left school to become a woodwork teacher, so then I served my time as, uh, started to serve my time as a joiner, um, became an apprentice joiner. And did very well from that. And uh, when I was qualified as a carpenter, 
my teachers, my former teachers said to me, David, just apply to the college now and you have the experience. Um, You're a mature student and obviously it'll be easy for you to follow that pathway. And when I went to apply to the college for the first time since they opened, they decided not to take mature students. So that door was still firmly closed. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that time, um, my own minister, the Reverend Derek Haskins in Enniskillen at the time, he came to me and he said, David, because he knew my situation, what was happening, and I was getting frustrated at work because I knew I could, I just needed to move on and mm-hmm. do something, get a better job or whatever, but no doors were opening. And he said, David, I think God is calling you into the ministry. Right. Um, it wasn't something I wanted to hear <laughs> because at that time I was young, I was shy, I... I wasn't a leader in the church and didn't, you know, didn't want to be at the front of the church in any way. And yet, as I thought about this and started to pray about it, I thought, all these other doors have closed. Let me see if this one will open. And so I started my local preacher's course. And then I actually gave up uh, my work and it was Andrew Doherty's influence. He had been to Cliff College and he suggested, why don't I go there and do the year's course and use that as uh, uh, the the foundation course for my local preachers. Um, So I did that and uh, spent a lovely year there in Cliff College, came back and married Rhoda. Um, I met her through Child Evangelism Fellowship camps and youth activities and so on. And we got married whenever I finished Cliff. And two weeks later, we went to Dungannon Methodist Church, okay. where I worked as a lay evangelist. Um, so I spent three years there, and during the, or two years there, and during those two years, again, it was a case of testing the call, um, asking people, the people around me, is this the direction? And people felt, yes, keep going. And so candidated uh, for the ministry and was accepted um, and uh, came to Edge Hill College. But still that question, I suppose the, the the question that I had at the back of my mind was, Lord, why did you give me such a love for woodwork okay. and give me such a gift for it? Mm-hmm. And then you suddenly take it away again. Um, so that was in the back of my mind and uh, left it, let it be. Um, we came to Belfast and spent three years in Edge Hill. And during the summers, uh, we, we were very fortunate because one summer we went to... Romania to work in a children's hospice and then another summer we went to uh, Kenya to work with the Methodist Church there to observe really what they were doing and we spent 10 weeks there and I think on those trips the seeds were sown in terms of thinking about overseas and going Mm -hmm. overseas but after Edge Hill we went to Moville and Donegal and uh, served there on the circuit for three years and during that period then we just couldn't get this feeling and and thought about working overseas out of our minds and so again we put our names forward we offered and again we were accepted and after those three years we went to uh, Birmingham Mm -hmm. for uh, missionary training and from there out to Zambia and spent 13 years in Zambia but the answer to my query with God came when we arrived in Zambia, because when I arrived there, I found that the church had plans to build a skills training centre. Right. 
but just didn't really know how to go about it. And they had funds from partners in Germany and they were ready to go, but just didn't know what to do. So I ended up um, setting up the skills training centre um, with carpentry and tailoring and computer studies. Right, right. So good. that's what we, that was, God brought the, the whole thing full circle, really. And the woodwork yeah, came the to the The woodwork fore. came to the fore again, yeah. yeah Brilliant. Yeah, which Brilliant. Was, and I ended up being the principal without ever training to be a woodwork teacher. <laughs> It's just interesting, interesting to see how that comes around, isn't it? <laughs> and then so, you came home after something. And yeah. we came home then in uh, t- uh, 2012. Okay. Yeah. Um, the boys had already, co- they came ahead of us and they were in school in Wesley College in Dublin. Um, Rhoda had taught them for their primary education in Zambia. Right. And then when it came to secondary education, they came, Samuel and Christopher came back uh, to Wesley College. Um, so just as it was difficult at that time because there wasn't, we didn't have Skype freely available to us. We didn't have good signal in Zambia. And so it was difficult. Communication was difficult and you were constantly looking forward to the next holiday when they would either come to Zambia or one or both of us would come back to Ireland to see them. Mm-hmm. And it was becoming more and more difficult and we felt no. Um, and eventually the time, it, we just felt the time was right for us to come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was right and we uh, served in North Dublin then um, for five years and then in 2018 we moved to Dunleary right right, good. Um, where I am at the moment lovely oh, thank you yeah. that must have been tough when the boys were in Ireland and you were in Zambia and it was it was yeah. and I think that's uh, the, the yeah it was it was uh, it was painful mm-hmm. leaving them behind and yeah just um, as and it was, uh, I think, you know, I've always appreciated the fact that they did manage themselves to come back to Ireland and allow me to continue because it allowed me to give the work that I was involved in, to give it another couple of years where I was got to the point where I was happier leaving it. Yes. Um, but as time went on, we felt, certainly we felt that the emotional closeness was, that was... A distance was was get, developing mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. us, and we said, "No, before this goes very far, let's let's get yeah. back together again." Yeah, yeah. And you and Rhoda um, did and build a wonderful, close and happy family. Yeah, I suppose yeah. because we were, you know, always together in Zambia, and uh, you know, it was yeah, it was yeah. and her teaching them at home, and me in and out yes. of the house all the time. It was we had a close, we were a close family. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah, was thinking yeah. of Rhoda the other day driving into um, Edge Hill here. Yeah. I was listening to RTE and uh, they were talking about the Bloom Festival in yeah. Phoenix Park at the yeah. beginning of June. And uh, yeah. I was thinking about how Rhoda yeah. loved that yeah. Bloom. Well, I remember her loving it. Yes, and uh, the gardening and the food and the yeah. music. Yeah. And uh, yeah. for those who don't know, Rhoda yeah. uh, sadly died uh, of yeah. cancer. Um, will you yeah. tell us about that? Rhoda was such a wonderful person and brought so much to, to so many. Yeah. Uh, tell yeah. us about Rhoda and about living with that loss yeah David. yeah yeah um yes she did she she absolutely loved uh she loved bloom um loved gardening right you know and uh, all the energy and the, the fun that was around festivals uh, like that one yeah and uh, you know Rhoda full of energy and yet she had decided um 
in 2018, she had decided to give up her work mm -hmm. in the home mission department. And we were moving to Dunleary at the same time, and we did move in July. Right. And then we were on holidays in Austria in August. And we just found, uh, we hired, we borrowed bicycles from the hotel, but she was a fantastic cyclist, mm -hmm. you know, cycling through the city, going to work over in Terenure every day. Um, but she developed uh, pains in her neck, on her shoulders, and just couldn't get enough air mm -hmm. into her lungs when she was trying to cycle. Um, even though in May of that year she participated in the uh, marathon yes. uh, in aid of world development and relief. Um, but anyhow, she uh, somebody said to her, you know, go and get a chest x-ray. So she went to a local doctor in Dunleary and cycled to the hospital then to get the x-ray in Dunleary. And uh, they, of course, discovered that she had lung cancer and it was already stage four lung cancer at that at that point. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it's, it's strange looking back. Um, I suppose maybe to, as you reflect on these things, we could see somehow that God was in it all mm -hmm. right from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Even the fact that we were moved to Dunleary, uh, the fact that Rhoda had finished her work mm -hmm. um, because she would have been, she was a very, what would I say? She was, well, you know. She was so committed. <laughs> she was committed. She? And yeah. if, if something didn't, wasn't going right, she was very upset if it wasn't done properly and mm -hmm. so on. Um, and I remember her talking about figures. Uh, this was in May, June time. And she said, I can't remember whether I made that payment. And this was back in November of the previous year. Um, and I thought, how can anybody remember exactly. what payment they've made? But she normally could. And it was only later we realised that it was actually the brain cancer. The cancer ended up going to her brain. But it was only later that we realised, actually, yeah, it was affecting you even at that point. Yeah. Um, but we were moved to Dunleary. And I suppose the reason I say talk about that is it's almost as if God knew what was coming down the tracks. And he decided, I need to put these people where they're going to be well looked after. Okay. So Rhoda had finished her work. So it's like that she was free in her mind um, of that. Um, she was diagnosed in September and then it was probably, it was October. Um, her, her, one of her legs wasn't, it was, she said it felt as if she had to be, tell her leg to move instead of it moving automatically. Mm -hmm. So they brought her back in immediately and they discovered that the cancer had moved to her brain. Um, but again, she was brought into uh, St. Michael's in Dunleary and that was only, for me going up and down, it was only a six-minute cycle. Right. Um, she then, as she went through her treatment, she uh, got a lot of help and support from the hospice in Black Rock. Again, that was only 15 minutes away. Mm -hmm. Her uh, chemo treatment, chemotherapy treatment was all in St. Vincent's and that was 15, tw that was 20 minutes by car. Mm -hmm. So when you look back, and those were only, that's only some of the details, yeah. but God just looked after so many details and we ended up in a congregation in Dunleary Methodist Church where uh, some of them have had and have cancer. They have nursed people with cancer. 
and they had a great empathy, mm-hmm. a great understanding, and they just wrapped them, their arms around us in love and just gave us the support and the space that we needed at that particular time in our lives. Wonderful. And, it, you know, it really couldn't have been better. And God was in it, as I say, right up to the very end, where her treatment um, in, in uh, when it, about two years later, they said, Vincent, Vincent, we're sorry, you know, we've run to, we've come to the end of the road. There's no more treatment we can give you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up going to Fermanagh for a couple of weeks holiday and in the end she she died there in September mm-hmm. um, but that's she loved being there absolutely loved there and when we arrived there I got in touch with the local doctor and he actually even though we were in the middle of COVID yeah. he said to me he said do you mind uh, Dr Tracy do you mind if I come and visit Rhoda you know, and then all the home care nurses came on board good. and looked after her at home right up to the end. So we obviously questioned, and that's not to say that there wasn't a lot of pain in and through it all and a lot of sadness and a lot of grief. <clears throat> but we just couldn't deny the fact that God is somehow in it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why he allows it to happen, I can't answer those questions. And have you grappled with those questions as since Rhoda's death? I think for me, um, I, I, I suppose the way I come to terms with it really is we're part of a broken world. And yes, I have a faith and yes, I believe God can heal. Um, sometimes God heal, does heal and sometimes he doesn't. And that's up up to him. But as part of being part of a broken world, we are not immune. We're not immune from the brokenness and we, you know, suffer the same as anybody else might Mm -hmm. suffer. Mm -hmm. And have there been times, David, (coughs) you know, in the grieving and the journey since Rhoda's death, that it's been tough going? And how does faith impact the day-to-day living through grief? Yeah, yeah. Um, Funny, I've talked about it and and I've explained it in a very physical way Um, because while we have our faith and as I said at the beginning the Lord Jesus has been a friend a close friend and a saviour to both of us and he gave Rhoda great strength and great peace around it all Mm -hmm. and and, uh, an amazing um, sense of gratitude um, for everything so we can look back with a lot of uh, a sense of thanksgiving for all that Rhoda meant to us. Um, but we're human beings. I'm a human being. And there have been plenty of tears and uh, the grief mm-hmm. has been a process. Mm-hmm. And as I've said, I've described that grief in a, in a physical process in that when I went back um, to Dublin after uh, Rhoda's death, I found it really difficult to move out of the study. Okay. Um, the study was the only room in the house where Rhoda hadn't arranged the furniture and decided that this picture should go here and there because she was fantastic at making a house into a home yeah. um, with all her decorations and pictures and so on. So whenever I left the study, that was my space, but whenever I left and went into the kitchen, it just ripped my heart out, really. Um 
gradually I got maybe more easier in the kitchen and so on. And she was a great cook as well, mm-hmm. so I um, lost that too. But then still going into the garden was a, a real struggle and it wasn't until February, March the following year that I could go out there without um, just managing to, to, to go out and not be in tears. Um, and yeah, and even the sitting room then where she spent a lot of time um, watching TV and just resting and so on. Um, and it's only been this year that I have felt comfortable, okay. comfortable there, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a process. Absolutely. And uh, I think grieving, you can't turn around and say, I, I don't grieve because I'm a Christian. That's a physical reality. And I always, I continue to refer to that verse, Jesus wept. Absolutely. He was one of us and he, he also suffered mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and went through grief. Yeah. Um, and yet underneath and beyond it all, you come back to that assurance that, you know, God is there. Yes. And God is with you even in the tears and the grief and the pain. And they're not hiding that from, from Jesus. Yes, yes, yes that's yes, right, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. just knowing that he understands. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, as well as that, having family support, having the support of Samuel and Christopher, and having the support of a loving uh, congregation yeah. around me and colleagues and so on, mm-hmm. that has just been tremendous, yeah. really. Um, I found people so kind um, and so caring, Good. really, really caring. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's thinking about you know living wholeheartedly and how yeah. that can feel almost um, blithe and joyful, yeah. and yeah. actually the living wholeheartedly yeah. that's also in those really difficult times, right. whether that's it's right. wondering about doors closing in the woodwork yeah. or whether through yeah. Rhoda's death yeah. and grieving after yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Help us to think about what that living wholeheartedly looks like for you every day. Yeah. Um, I suppose we can, to some extent, I'm inclined to say we can over-spiritualise it. Mm. That sounds awful, really, possibly. But um, for me, it can also be very, very practical. Okay. Um, It's living, having Jesus really as your centre, first of all, Mm -hmm. and making decisions and living in the light of him being my focus and my background, my past, um, my future. Um, and it, all of that then comes down, it, it comes back to even, you know, I, I feel, you know, if I'm not exercising, mm-hmm. if I'm not looking after myself, this is what the body that uh, Jesus Good. has given me, then look after it kind of thing. Yes. It comes down to even issues around the environment. It may seem a silly thing to say, but if I'm wasting fossil fuel, we can think about it. That's destroying the environment. To me, it's it's a resource that Jesus has given to us. Absolutely. Whatever those resources are, am I using them or abusing them? Am I wasting them or -hmm. not wasting them? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I have a responsibility to somebody other than, and I don't need science to tell me that this is causing this. I do, of course, but that helps mm-hmm. us to understand what's going on. Yeah. But it's much deeper than that, um, knowing that, yeah, I have a very good reason for looking after the environment. Okay. It's when we look around and, uh, you know, we, we 
read and uh, were being taught um, stories from World Mission Partnership, from World Development and Relief, and were made aware of situations in other countries and so on. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to, okay, you don't just uh, listen to that and, oh, that's interesting. But it's, okay, so what are we going to do about that? Okay. What can I do about it? Yeah. And it's not just a case of saying, you know, let's uh, launch an appeal. Before you appeal to somebody else, you need to appeal to yourself almost. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean for, for, for me? Likewise, with the, the Ukrainian, um, the, the war in Ukraine at the moment, and uh, certainly in the Republic, we've had a lot, we are receiving yes. a lot of refugees um, mm-hmm. running from, uh, fleeing from the violence there. And again, it means for us as a church, what, what can we do here? Mm-hmm. What are the actual needs? Um, and, and it's, you know, I, I called a few people, phoned them up and said, would you be, would you be willing to, to work? And I deliberately say work mm-hmm. in a group, um, in a refugee support group. Right. And we just set up this, this group and we said, OK, what do we need to do? Let's work with others, first of all, other churches if we can. Mm-hmm. Let's work with the local government, with the local council, and see exactly what is needed. Great. Not what we would like to do, but actually, first of all, let's check and see what's needed. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it means you know opening up their homes and saying, yes, we'd be willing to have um, some somebody, a family... Um, children, adults, and so on. For others, it might mean giving financially. Yeah. For others, it might mean giving whatever the practical needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, so living wholeheartedly, that's why I say it's very practical, I suppose. Yeah. You know, just no harm. Thinking no about harm. the environment, thinking about how yeah. we use our bodies, thinking yeah. about yeah. how we care yeah. for others and welcoming yeah. and hospitable. That's Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. important. Yeah. And it flows, yeah. oh, I suppose it... Um, when, because for me, having Jesus as a friend and a saviour for so long, he's part of me. And I suppose him being part of me then, it's his desire to reach out through me to other people. Right. Whether mm-hmm. that be practically or spiritually. Yes. And I suppose I'm obviously, you know, I'm a minister. I love being a minister. And it's such a privilege to be able to be with people yeah. in their hour of need and to be able to share Jesus. Absolutely. You know, and share his love mm-hmm. and uh, teaching yeah. and so on. Yeah. Um, and you've helped us think about living wholeheartedly for you in that practical sense and pointed to how the congregation yeah. in Dunleary embody that for you as well, yeah. for you and Rhoda, and then for yeah. you yeah. in terms of their care. Tell us a bit about where you serve. You're on the South East Leinster circuit. Yeah. What does life there look like for you? Can you tell us some stories about yeah. what God's doing as those congregations live wholeheartedly? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, in South East Leinster Circuit, yeah. as you say, five churches. Right. Dunleary, Bray, Wicklow, Arklow and Gorey. And uh, I look after, pastor, I look after Dunleary, then Mark Forsyth looks after uh, Bray and Wicklow okay. and Catherine Kehoe, Arklow and Gorey. So we work as a team and yet we have responsibility then, pastoral responsibility and in our own pulpits um, it, uh, separately and so on. 
And I suppose in COVID, obviously we've come through COVID and it has been a very, very interesting experience. <laughs> interesting is a good word. Interesting is yeah. a good word. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose in, in all of that, um, we really have seen, I suppose, not just as a circle, but as a connection, we mm-hmm. have seen God bringing us through that yeah. as, a, as a church. Um, enabling us, it, it was a huge learning curve for mm-hmm. us, particularly as preachers, um, trying to live on uh, and preach and teach Absolutely. on Zoom. Um, it was a challenge for, for many of us. Um, some of us, I in particular, was very privileged to, to have uh, somebody who helped me with the IT, Damon right. Kelly. Um, and I just take my hat off to all the ministers and preachers who really uh, went at it and upskilled very, very fast. And it was hugely challenging for us all. It showed us we could change quickly, didn't it? Indeed, yeah. indeed, yeah. indeed. Mm. And, and just the way in which those preachers and ministers gave themselves wholeheartedly to it. Yes. You know, and I also saw in the congregation where people, they said, okay, this is the situation we're in and, uh, you know, how can we keep in touch with each other? Great. As family, you know, as a, as a congregational family. Mm-hmm. I often describe the congregation as a church family. Yeah. And they were brilliant at watching out for each other. And, uh, you know, and even when Rhoda was sick and I didn't have as much time, they were very good and said, OK, we divided uh, the congregation up into uh, small groups. And you had, you know, there would have been one person looking after a number Great. of people and just calling them um, and just keeping in touch and mm-hmm. making sure that people were remained connected and Lovely. so on. So now, uh, you know, Wholehearted Now looks different coming out of yes. COVID. And it's almost, a, 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 it has been a, in some ways a great pause. Okay. And, you know, we've been doing this and we've been doing this for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Two years later, many of us are older and um, some haven't had the energy that they had in the past. Yeah. Um, so there are some activities that may not, mm-hmm. that have served their time and have fulfilled a need and have been the right thing to do for a long period of time. Yeah. And it's painful sometimes to let them go. Um, but as against that, then there are opportunities maybe to do new things yes. and do things slightly differently. Um, and one of the things we've been trying to, to do is because our children, um, it has, I think it has been really challenging for young parents with young children. Yes. Um, many of whom have had to work from home and for a long period of time, had their children at home at the same time Mm -hmm. and trying to look after children and work. Um, And then even when their children went back to school, they were in school, then there was an outbreak in the classroom and some of them had to stay at home again or they themselves had had COVID and it has been a really challenging time for them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even as we considered how can we care for our children, um, a couple of weeks ago we had a a service on Sunday at five o'clock. Very good. And just simply to say to the parents, you know, please, this is a service that's focused on you and your children. And uh, for the first time, I think, I'm sure, in the history of the church, uh, we had pizza after Excellent. the service. Very good. Pizza in church. Uh-huh. So I don't think that was ever there before. <laughs> but might but be it meant that the parents yeah. didn't have to think about Great. what do I prepare for tea when we go home and gave us an opportunity just to sit and to yeah. chat and so on. 
Um, so I think it's a, it's it's a great opportunity to just, as I say, pause and say what what can we do now? That's it. Um, and in our context, then you know the Ukrainian we come out of COVID, mm-hmm. and immediately we're dealing with Ukraine. But that's again, what does God want us to do in this context? That's it. And it's trying to, and, and it's evolving. Mm-hmm. That's a very live situation at the moment. It's evolving as we go along. And we just don't know where, you know, we don't know exactly what it means right. to live wholeheartedly in that in that context. That's it. But steps being taken but in steps. terms of those welcoming exactly. communities. And exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. church in uh, Bray, they have opened up uh, the hall um, for the Ukrainians to come in and just have a time for coffee to chat to each other and so on. And again, that's an evolving situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the need that they have at the moment. That need may change yes. and will change as time goes on that's and so it. on. And good to see um, church being flexible like that and yes, just responding yes, and listening, as you said, right, on your own. That's right, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. And DCM then, obviously, they have had and have at the moment uh, English language yes. classes and I think uh, when they they were overwhelmed on on one occasion, they had mm-hmm. so many people who came in. Great. Um, but you know that's a small way in which we can live out our faith um, and be to them what you know try and be to them what Jesus would want us to be. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, which brings us to to Jesus' love, and you've been talking with us about, you know, Jesus as the friend who's been yeah. there as part of your life for for so many years. Yeah, yeah. And as you come to be installed as president in June, yeah. your theme is God's lavish love. Will you yeah. tell us a bit yeah. about that? I think we've heard already about how that might have emerged, yeah. but how yeah. that emerged for yeah. you and why it's important. Yeah, yeah. It's it was strange because. Um, as you know, I had been designated in 2018 um, as president-designate. Um, and then when Rhoda's diagnosis uh, came through, um, Rhoda just did not want me to give it up because mm-hmm. she felt, you know, God has called you to that position and so on. She was so pleased. Uh, she yeah. was. She, yeah. was <laughs> she was more excited than I was. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it was difficult I think for her especially feeling that she that I had to give it up because of her um, and I kept explaining and saying you know this is cancer has visited us it's okay it's your body that's affected but it's it's with us um, and it was uh, just with a lot of uh, um, support I suppose from Andrew and from Des, Andrew Doherty and Des Bain um, that you know we were able to come to that point where I stepped back but the reason I'm saying that is I, and I stepped back in December but I could not come up with a theme really? I could not come up with a theme and then when I was designated again at a conference last year um, this just came to me and it just it didn't go away and it felt so not natural in many ways. And I think maybe it has been, uh, I suppose I've been really impacted by the way in which God's lavish love has came to road on myself. Obviously, as you say, right from all the way along in my own life and so on. But in that period of crisis, when Rhoda was really suffering, going through cancer, God showed his love through other people. 
in extraordinary ways, you know, the number of meals that we had prepared for us, the support in terms of prayer, um, in terms of phone calls, WhatsApp messages from people all over the connection. Um, And I remember coming home um, and uh, it was... uh, one of her, or I opened the door, it must have been home obviously, and I opened the door, it was one of her neighbours, Roisin, and she had a bag of uh, food. And I just, you know, I came into the kitchen and I opened the bag and put the things out on the on the worktop and I just, I just broke down um, because this was a person, Roisin, a lovely neighbour who doesn't come to our church, but she heard about Rhoda and she just said, you know, I just wanted, was just thinking about you. And as a family, we're praying for you. And uh, Rhoda used to describe these things as kisses from God. Lovely. You know, so it's like God's, uh, you know, in the midst of all the pain and the, and the, the grief and, and the, the physical pain and the mental anguish and so on, still God's love was there yeah. coming through other people. Um, and as I've thought about it then, you know, the passage that I that I latched on to and that I keep uh, going over and over is the, the story of the prodigal son and but particularly the, looking at the love the what I describe as the lavish love of the father that just flowed from him to both his sons and um, the son who went away and local custom and uh, human uh, understanding and common sense says, well, he didn't deserve that love, did he? But that didn't make any difference. The father just ran to meet him, Um, you know, made a fool of himself running because an older man wouldn't have, that wasn't what he did in that culture. Mm -hmm. That was ridiculous and it was, you know, it was beneath him to do that. But that made no difference to the father. And even with the older son who refused to come in and join the party, but the father went out and he pleaded with him and tried to, he was patient with him and tried to explain to him, you know, why he had to celebrate. Because this son that he loved, and he loved both of them equally. Um, so, the, you know, the love, the father's love was there for, for both of them. Um, and so that, you know, that his love for me then, I suppose, enables me to go out. And, and, and I think of the, the younger son in particular too, when he... After he had that experience of his father's lavish love, and he came back thinking, I just, I'd be happy to be a hired servant. But the father said, no, 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 no. (laughs) You are my son, and you will be my son, and you're going to take up your position as as my son. There was no judgment and and so on. But the one that what I keep thinking about was, is, uh, you know, how did he feel about working with his father after that? It was surely a sense of, he, he must surely have been wholehearted in, in serving his father and working with his father. Whereas the older son, he used the words, you know, I've been slaving away for you all these years. Mm-hmm. He, in my opinion, he missed out he he was missing that loving connection with his father. His father didn't want him slaving. 
he wanted him to work in love and harmony and enjoy his work. Yes. And that's what I feel about the younger son after that. He surely would have enjoyed serving somebody who loved him yeah. so much. Yeah. And so I find that the two, to me, the two themes just gel together. Absolutely. I can be wholehearted in, in my love and my service to my Lord and, and in, in, in loving others. Why? Simply because God's yeah. lavish love has, has just flowed, is, is flowing into me. Yes, exactly. I'm receiving it. I don't deserve it. That's it. And everything changes. It's a wonderful picture, David, as you paint yeah. it. And that, that what, yeah. Yeah, what God does with us becomes a joyful offering, the, sort yeah. of the service you want to give because you love rather right. than a burden. That's right. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. does change us how we yeah. live wholeheartedly. Yeah. really yeah. does. Uh, but I need to remind myself of that sometimes. Yes. Yes. Because there are times when you feel, and here I am sleeping. <laughs> and it feels like a burden. Yeah. And it can feel like a burden yeah. when things are not going well. That's it. That's then you it. need to step back and think, who am I serving? That's it. And who loved who am first? I with? Exactly. And who exactly. loved first, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. David, thank you so yeah. much. I think that picture okay. just is a wonderful place for us to, to end our conversation. That thank joyful uh, living wholeheartedly yeah. that comes as response to what God has done for yeah. us. Can yeah. I pray as, as we thank finish? You. Let's thank pray you. together. Lord, thank you that we have uh, the story to tell of you who loves us first. The story to tell of Jesus who is a faithful, loving friend through all of life. And Father, as we pray for David as he comes to this year as president, our prayer is that you would continue to anoint him by your spirit and enable him for all that lies ahead. And for the people called Methodist on this island, that we would live joyfully, wholeheartedly for Jesus, offering all we have not as a burden, not as a duty, but as a joyful way of offering who we are back to Jesus who loves us first for the transformation of the world that many would know that Jesus Christ is Lord. For we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for uh, to David and thank you to you for engaging with and listening to this podcast. There will be many more to come as we continue to think together about what it is to live wholeheartedly as followers of Jesus for the transformation of the world. So we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. You'll be able to access it however you normally uh, get your podcasts and to remember too uh, that uh, these podcasts are being filmed and are available on YouTube.